Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Guess what, Loose Units listeners? We are coming to Adelaide. Yes, after our sold-out live performances in Melbourne and Sydney, we are doing Loose Units live in Adelaide. It's at the Rhino Room, 6.30pm on the 30th of November. Now, we'll be doing our live show, then a meet and greet afterwards, and we'll be selling copies of the book too. Tickets for Melbourne and Sydney sold out really, really fast, and lots of people missed out, so do not sleep on this, folks. Head to facebook.com forward slash loose units right now, or to adelaidecomedy.com and search for loose units to get your tickets to our first ever live show in Adelaide. When I was a kid... My dad was a cop. You see, my dad was a cop in the 1980s in Sydney, which has been widely regarded as one of the most dangerous times to be a police officer in Australia. It was basically the Wild West. So I wrote a book about it. It was called Loose Units. And then we did a podcast about it. Loose Units Season 1 was an incredible experience, and we loved every minute of it. But it turns out that dad did more than just patrol the streets. He plunged headfirst into the terrifying world of forensics. So on this season of Loose Units, that's what we're doing. We're going deep into the world of forensics and fingerprints and all of that good stuff. Well, I say good stuff. Actually, things got worse than ever. So strap in for Loose Units Season 2, Electric Blue. Hello and welcome to Loose Unit Season 2 Electric Blue. Another episode is here. I am Paul Verhoeven. Sitting across from me is John Verhoeven, my dad. Used to be a cop in the 80s. Now... Hi, Paul. Hi. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> You've never heard me so animated, have you? No, it's good. Uh, well, listen, last week... Let's just plow straight in. Um, last week on the show... We tried to solve a crime that we walked through, a uh, crime scene. We talked about your abilities as a, um, as a lock picker. Um, we had- a lock picker? Well, a picker of locks. It makes me sound like a fruit picker. Well, no, because no, the fruits and locks are different. True, but anyway. Well, listen. I'm pe- a, a ma- manipulator of locks. Ah, right. So you gently caress mm. the tumblers. But I picked up those skills working in, a, I think I mentioned last week, a safe factory. And I'll tell you what, working in a big factory uh, that made safes, mm. um, and, I mean, I wasn't, I mean, <laughs> that's so funny. It sounds weird. What? Just... I mean, my role within that organisation, I was in charge of a particular um, type of safe manufacturer, um, learning about all the uh, the locks and the combinations and how to get into locks. And because one of the things that a lot of people don't think about is that when you uh, buy a big safe, like like you're a bank, for example, or you've got 
these big uh, night safes, mm. sometimes um, things things go awry and you can't actually... The people that have got the safe can't get back into the safe. Really? Because things happen to safes. And sometimes they've got to be taken back to these factories that are massive, mm. craned in onto these huge... Uh, can only be described as gargantuan sort of drill presses. And then the plans are brought out, the blueprints, mm. because it's incredibly complex what goes into making a safe. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not mind-blowing. No, it is. It's incredible. It's not just a door with a lock on no. it? No. It used to be. Right. And even... You remember that safe job I went to at the club up... Yes, where the cash was still sitting in the safe. Cash was still there and I could have retired, but I didn't, obviously. (laughs) And, um, I mean, that was a very basic safe. Right. But as technology has gone, has moved forward, Mm. um, I'll tell tell the listeners something that's pretty amazing about safes. um, I think it's bloody amazing. Mm. Imagine... Uh, so you've got the, the wall the wall of a safe and then you've got the internal wall. But, you know, I mean, let's say that uh, the wall is six inches thick. Yep. So what do you think's in between the two sheets of metal in that cavity? Any thoughts? More metal. Mm. Fire to stop people who are afraid of fire. Lots of things. Guns. Would you like me to tell you what's be between the two walls? Please do. Okay, well, you've got sand. Sand? Yep. And you've got aluminium. Right. And but weird uh, aluminium sort of grates, but at different angles. Now, when you drill through metal, what happens is uh, a certain type of drill is designed to go through like a very strong metal, but it's a different type of drill that's designed to go through soft metal. Then you've got another type for aluminium, then you've got sand, you've got all these different materials. And what that does, it completely discombobulates the drill. The drill actually, so you can't get one drill to drill through every material. One there are drill multiple. to drill them all. Yeah, One drink to f- drill to find them. One drill to what kill the, the dwarves and Paul. in the darkness bind them. You know, Paul, what the fuck are you talking about? Lord of the Drills. Anyway, the thing is that <laughs> another thing that they've got, which is really amazing, is they've got this incredible glass. Yeah. Now, you didn't know that, did you? Well, no. That encases the inside of the safe. So if you... what What's designed for is that if you... Um, try and move the safe with a forklift or something, mm. it shatters the glass and all the levers drop down and it's fucked. What? You can't open it. You it's... cannot open the safe. It is totally... You, no, no, no Houdini can get in. You know, the funny. safe then has to be taken back to the factory oh and they have to open it. But there's a special technique they use to open the safe. They have to drill yeah. and use all sorts of amazing gadgets and they have to know exactly where to go. And that information is found in the original blueprints. Have you heard of a thermo lance? Uh, it's a weapon that I use in Dungeons & Dragons to fight ice dragons. It's like you, you, you can fight barrow whites with the thermal lance. It's a plus three to dexterity. It's very powerful. Hmm. You're giving anyway, me a look like you want to throw me through the wall. For fuck's sake. Anyway. <laughs> I've raised a nerd, you're thinking. No, no, no. I'm thinking far worse <laughs> anyway um so what i i got to see a demonstration once at this particular uh, it was called the lord safe company that no longer exists and uh they had this amazing safe that had been locked uh they'd smashed all the glass in fact really you've only got to go up to a safe with a hammer and give it a knock and, and in theory all the glass so that's you can imagine sort of being a malicious type person going into a bank and just with a hammer and knocking a safe wow and then they can't 
access it. Wow. They cannot access it. So you can't just dynamite. These things are made. No, they're designed so that if they're moved, oh. they uh, that, at least that was technology when I was there. And it was bloody fantastic yeah. to see. Yeah. Anyway, they demonstrated the thermo lance. Now the thermo lance is sort of a long piece of metal. Uh, the one I saw was probably maybe 12 feet long. Wow. And it's got this intense gas that comes out of it. It's like a white flame and it gets through anything. It gets through concrete, gets through anything at all. Yep. But the problem is, I mean, it got into the safe really, really quickly. And as the uh, thermal lance is sort of penetrating the safe, it's actually be- becoming shorter, which sounds weird because it's sort of... it's it's. Eating itself as well. It's burning away. Burning away. But the thing is, once uh, they, they get into the safe, which they did very, very successfully, mm. it's a minor problem. All the contents are destroyed. Unless it's gold, but the gold would melt, of course. But any notes, any paper is just, you know, spontaneously uh, combusts because of the inc- intense heat. It's white he- white hot. Uh, anyway, that's that's one of the, the techniques. So you can get in, but at what cost, basically? Exactly, yeah. I guess if you have, you've got diamonds and stuff like that in there, that, that that's okay. Yeah. So, yeah, look, it's a big job. Uh, and, and we used to spend sometimes two days uh, in, in, in laboratory conditions with all the right uh, plans and experts to get into a safe that we'd made that had somehow or other. Having said all that, I also worked with one of the best um, safe crackers uh, in the world. Yeah. And he was from Finland and, of course uh, he was, gentleman thief. No, he was he was an amazing guy, and he, he taught me some of the techniques. And he could get into some of the the big banks in the city. You know, we're talking banks with twelve foot high doors. Yeah. And he told me that he could get into some of these within minutes, but he, of course he wouldn't do that in front of the bank staff. He would spend uh, hours and hours and hours because otherwise the banks would be going, "Well, hang on a sec, it shouldn't be that easy." But he was a master. Yep. Um, so yeah, it was quite fascinating. Did you ever? Um, that would have brought. I think that would have brought a really interesting perspective to working with cases involving safes or bank heists or break-ins. Mm. Um, did you ever get involved in um, in your time in the police force? Did you ever deal with any uh, bank robberies that kind of that you had a perspective on that most people would? No, because no. Look, I wasn't. Um, you know, they they used to have a squad called the Breaking Squad that right. used to deal in armed holdups and that sort of stuff. Yeah. The fact of the matter is that back then, um, I think we mentioned that armed robbery in Brookvale. We did, yeah, with a guy. One of the guys got shot. Yes. And they had multiple disguises and getaway cars, and mm. they caught them years and years and years later. Um, but, you know, safe jobs, uh, like, would they blow safes, like in the movies, Ocean's Eleven, all that, you know, that sort of fanciful stuff. I mean, that, that may well happen, but, you know, the security today is just so intense. You can't even get to the banks without being picked up on film as we all know we, yeah you know everyone's being observed double-edged sword um aren't all swords double-edged um no they're not samurai swords aren't aren't they no cool yeah right all right so you've got a story that involves breaking in into a house yeah, yeah. oh okay okay so somewhat less uh epic and grand no, it's, like- it's, it's not a, a big case but it's an interesting story yep. in that um this guy who broke the window, when he was getting into the house, he actually sliced the top of his uh, finger off and he left it at the scene. Like the whole top of the finger? Yeah. How far down are we talking? One, the whole of one, um, <laughs> the whole pad of his, I think it was his pointer. So he literally just left a fingerprint Left there. the finger. On the finger? Yeah, the whole actual epidermis. So we didn't need to dust for prints. We just took that bit of skin yeah. back to the laboratory, stretched it out, 
photographed it or inked it, then photographed it. So that was that was a bit of a win. Do you ever get weird about uh, handling bits of people's bodies after? Uh, the well, fact? after you've heard all the shit that I've done so far, so yeah. ha- hanging on to a tiny bit of skin is that's a, that's a non-event. Do you think? I guess the worst thing about or the most worrying aspect of that story would be um, losing it. But let's face it, once we did a... We ID'd the guy, by the way. Right. He was a known break-and-enter merchant. Isn't that funny? We used to call them break-and-enter merchants. Yeah. It's quaint. Um, I've got a little bit of a, a story about when I was in fingerprints. It's sort of a poignant story. It's not a big story. Sure. But it's one of those stories that has stayed with me for for all this time, and I've, I've wanted to talk about it. Yeah. Uh, there's a touch of pathos in the story, I guess you could say. I was, when I was in fingerprints, we used to use this really, really uh, sort of horrendous, I've, I've touched on the products like the soot, it was basically carbon yeah. powder, and it was as fine as the finest, uh, like flour, cooking mm. flour, you know what that's like, if you, you put some in your, yeah, the palm of your hand and you, you sneeze and it just blows, creates this fog. Yeah. And... Uh, I remember the suburb and I remember the day and I remember the weather was terrible and I was wearing, as listeners know, I was wearing some of my nice, you know, cool gear and I had these suede <laughs> shoes, which sounds a bit odd. But What what, uh, what suburb was it? It was uh, Epping. Which Epping? Is northern, sort of northwest of Sydney. What kind of day were we talking? Shitty day, winter, rain, cloud, thick, heavy cloud. It was cold. Everything about this place, the day, and and, and this uh, guy, he was in his forties, and he'd been broken into. Yep. And you mean his house had he his had, house, right. his house had been broken into. Yeah. And because I used to go to probably maybe ten break and enters a day. That's just me. Right. And Sydney was divided up into numerous um, geographical um, areas, and uh, you know, and you'd you'd leave the uh, Central Fingerprint Bureau in Liverpool Street on a Monday morning with all your gear and you wouldn't come back till the following Monday. And you used to pop into police stations because we used to use film. Yeah. Like, you know, that old-fashioned film. Mm. So you'd take photographs and at the end of every day, you'd pop into a police station that was near you or convenient and you'd have this envelope and you'd pop all your uh, undeveloped film mm. into um, the station and that was all couriered back to the Central Fingerprint Bureau. So by the time you got back to the office effectively um, seven or eight days later, yeah. the prints had already been developed and printed Okay, of all the fingerprints that you'd found, the latent prints at all the crime scenes. Right. Okay. So that was pretty good. A good system. Yeah, yeah. And you were working one out all the time. So you had a station wagon full to the gunnels with all the gear you can imagine. But you had your basic kit, which was sort of all your powders and brushes. And the brushes were, they were amazing. All made from various animal uh, hairs. What kind of animals are we talking? Badgers. Ooh. Um, oh, look, some re- very obscure. <laughs> I mean, what a... I mean, incredible and soft. Super soft. Right. But then you had these aluminium brushes that you used to dip into magnetic... Do you know that we used to use magnetic powder? No. Iron filings. For what? For dusting prints. Why? Well, you dip this like you had an electric... Like an, a magnetic pen, yeah. which you could turn on and off, and you'd turn it on drop it down into this canister of iron filings mm. and it would just suck up all the filings like a like a mad afro. You'd draw it out, then you'd dust it over the, um, you know, where you, where you thought there was a fingerprint. Yeah. And then you'd hold the remnant uh, filings that were still adhered in this crazy electronic sort of weird Einstein sort of shape. Yeah. And you'd release the little lever and all the filings would just 
fall away because you demagnetize this pen you were holding mm-hmm. and they just drop back into the container. And then once you'd found the prints yeah. and photographed them, you'd then run, you'd re-magnetize your device and then run it over the surface to pick up because you don't want to waste all the filings. Mm. And then you'd sort of clean them up, like sweeping them up magnetically, then drop them back in the container. Huh. Yeah, how weird's that? Huh. So you had all these different types of powders for for different surfaces. And so I'm, I walked out uh, the back into, and it was just depressing. The guy was really, really sad. And I thought to myself, I mean, I'm probably 25, fairly intuitive, I, I, I felt, you know, pretty, pretty sort of sensitive to the, the poor guy, but something didn't equate, something was a bit wrong because I thought that he was a little bit too sad for someone that had been broken into. Because I'd been to hundreds and hundreds, probably thousands of break and enters, and you get a sense, you get that feeling of, you know, the mood, etc. But he just, he was down in the dumps, and I thought he was, he was quite frankly really depressed. Anyway, I go outside, and I'm, I, I open up my canister of this soot, and I knocked it, and it fell, and my shoes, because it was raining, and I'd sort of gone through a bit of grass to get round to this particular window where the offender offenders had broken into. Yep. And all of a sudden, I looked down, and my so my shoes are wet. Mm. They're suede, and all of a sudden, they're covered in black soot. And I thought this is totally, and I thought this is this is crazy. So I've come back into the house, and I'm complaining to this guy in a sort of a sad way about all the soot on my on my shoes. And then he just sat down, and he just decided that I was the person that he was going to confide in. And he was twice my age. And he said to me, now, I don't want the listeners to think, uh, look, I'm, I'm just going to say the story as it unfolded. So please, no one judge me. But it was one of those weird things that, as I say, I've thought about it on and off over the years. Um, and he told me that he was the senior electrical engineer at Channel 7 which is obviously a major TV. And back in the day, those channels, they were, they were pumping yeah. they were big time. Yeah. And uh, he said to me that uh, his wife had just left him. And I thought, oh, okay, that's, that's, that's a bit sad. But then he said to me, he said, oh, he left me for another woman. And I was 25. She left me. Oh, Not sorry. <laughs> she left him for another woman. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. 
Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. And I remember as a 25-year-old, so mid-80s Sydney, I had never in my life heard of that happening before. It's sort of... Because, it, I mean, t- today, that doesn't rate. It's just... It's not... No one would even make the point. Mm. But back in 1985, this guy, he needed to tell someone about it. And I'm sort of there with my soot-covered shoes. And he's telling me this story and he was so depressed. And I thought... And it was surreal. So what you're saying is that <laughs> he seems sadder about, he seems sadder than a break-in would warrant. Yeah. And so you've kind of come in moaning about your shoes mm. and he's just twigged and has basically just spilled his guts to the only person around mm. that his wife's left him. Mm. For another woman, which yeah. in, back in 1985, that was actually quite, I think it was fairly profound in Pretty, terms of, it didn't, I don't know whether, it's the first time I'd ever heard of that happening, put it that way. Right, so the, the notion of, of, of two women shacking up was fairly foreign. At that yeah. Point. Yeah, okay. And... I'll share something with you now and mm. the listeners. You remember last week we discussed my good friend. This is going to sound... Oh, God. Anyway. But it's it's a... It's oh, it's weird. But um, the, the the good friend who was uh, who worked as a spook. Yeah. Um, he committed suicide. I told you that, didn't I? Um, yeah. Did you? Yeah. And um, the thing that... I mean, obviously there were lots of triggers, but... One thing that really went down in his life pretty badly was that he came home. He was married to uh, a lady that I knew, very yeah. attractive lady, and um, he came home one day and she was in bed with another lady, and uh, that that and other things. But that actually, according to you know various um, you know conversations that I've had since, that that was the tipping point. So, you know, I guess if your partner, if your you know if your partner um, of the opposite sex, uh, then leaves you for someone of the opposite sex. That's that's depressing and and really hard to, to handle. And I guess, you know, I guess for, for men and women. I mean, I know, um, you know, I know guys that's wives have left them for other women, mm-hmm. and I also know women that's husbands have left them for other guys. So that I can, I think it's a layered thing. I mean, it um, must it must affect the ego a little bit, but also. We've entered this point where, I mean, because I was friends with someone at university whose mother left th- her father for another woman, mm. and the woman was a friend of the was a friend of theirs, and they all had a discussion and went, "Oh, we're way happier this way." And so, and then the husband came out as gay, mm. and so her mum and dad both basically came out because they just weren't happy with who they were and who they yeah. were with. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, I, I I do I would like to think we've entered an era where. That's far less triggering for people. I, yeah, it's yeah. more, and, and you should you should be able to you know be who you are and pursue. No, I agree totally. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. But these things happen, and I'm just my point being that in the eighties, um, you know, I'm not going to say I'd, I'd led a sheltered life, far from it. Mm. But that was one of those sort of it was almost sort of taboo. Uh, but yeah, I yeah. mean, you know, I, I think people's happiness and. Uh, and all that is really, really paramount and, have, and and it's important. I think, you know, we don't want to be in relationships that are, um, you know, um, abusive relationships. Well, look, I mean, that was a... 
A lot of strange stuff happening this episode, but uh, we've had a litany of really great questions coming from listeners, Dad. And there's one question here that I would like you to answer for me on the record here and now. Yeah. Uh, this is from Lynette. Lynette asks, does John ever look at the evidence and think, how the fuck did that get there? Oh, definitely. Can you think of any specific examples? Well, I mentioned uh, in previous podcasts about we had the ability to move fingerprints from one scene to another. Right. I mean, you see it in the movies. Guy touches glass. Glass appears at another crime scene. Right. Or glass doesn't appear at another crime scene. They lift the print off the glass and that glass is then put onto a glass at another crime scene. Right, okay. Uh, or, or, or on a murder weapon. But there are there are experts because I could tell and I was not I was not a fingerprint expert. To be an expert, you had to be in the Fingerprint Bureau for 10 years. Right. How's that? Yeah. Like that's, you know, that's a lot of time. But... We used to lift prints with these fingerprint lifters, funnily enough, which is glorified sticky tape. <laughs> no, truly. That's, you know. But you had to be able to then relocate. So my, my philosophy always was, and I used to talk about it, but no one seemed to really discuss it that much, but I was convinced that um, I could tell if a fingerprint had been placed at another scene because it, it just didn't seem right. It wasn't complete. And sometimes you'd get like a sticky um, material surrounding the print, which had been from the residue of the tape. Um, Hang on. So you're, t- you're telling me that you've seen prints that were moved? Well, I've seen prints that I thought or perhaps had been tampered with. You ever uh, say anything? Or I learnt very early on in my career, Paul. Yeah. Um, I remember I was, I was a bit of a pest <laughs> when I was at fingerprints. No, and, and as a kid, as you know. But sure, yeah. as, as When I was in fingerprints, because I was hyper-keen, um, mm. and I'm still hyper-keen. I'm, I'm still, you know, I'm super keen and mm. enthusiastic about everything in life. And uh, they, I think, I, I, you know how they used to categorize fingerprints? And I've always said that they never categorized palm prints, which means, you know, there's no system where... You know, they have a like a coding just for palm prints. Yeah. Because I, I don't know whether they've actually ever gone into, um, you know, the, the, the types of patterns in palms because they're always attached to the fingers. But sometimes, um, you know, anyway, look, they had this pile of palm print photographs. There were hundreds of them. They were on like an Instamatic Polaroid, like a huge file. And I'm basically a pest. Um, and I was working in what's called the latent fingerprint section mm. where it's worked on scenes of prints that are taken from scenes. And this grumpy old uh, senior guy that had been there for God knows maybe 40 years, he just gave me this pile of uh, Instamatic uh, black and white photographs of palm prints. And he basically thought to himself, mate, go and have a good time. And just get out of my hair and you're going to be pissing in the wind. You're never going to be able to get anything out of this. But, oh, go oh, and, no, not me. Go and play at the kids' table. Go and basically. play. Just fuck off yep. and just stop bothering me. So I walked away with probably 200 photographs of palm prints and I sit down and I'm a pretty sort of, you know, I'm sort of, I'm like a, Actually, when I was in the fire brigade, some of the fires at Man used to call me uh, Pig Dog. Oh, Jesus. No, in a nice way, because they reckoned that once I got a hold of someone, I just wouldn't let go, So, because you know, I love to chat. Yeah, who, doesn't, who hasn't been called Pig Dog in a nice way? Mm. And, you know, there's, um, other, there's other dogs. Yeah, but anyway, Pig Dog. So, um, I'm working away, and I, I don't know how it happened, but I managed to have a few clues, and I somehow found out that this particular palm print... Uh, was involved uh, in a particularly horrendous crime. There was a lady called Sally Ann Huckstep and she was um, 
she used to go out with Warren Lanfranchi. Yeah. And Warren Lanfranchi was murdered by Roger Rogerson. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, so... And then she was later murdered and she was drowned and her body was found half in this pond in Centennial Park in Sydney. Mm. And that's an unsolved murder. Yep. But she was involved in uh, heroin importation. And I managed... Now, what happened was these prints were taken off heroin packaging that had come into Australia. Yeah. And somehow or other, I managed to identify this palm print as belonging to Sally Ann Huckstep. And I was so overcome with awe. And I thought, fuck you to these fingerprint guys that were just... You know, anyway, I won't go on too much about what I thought of them. But, you know, they were, they were sort of treating me like a fucking idiot. And um, so I thought, fuck you. You know, and I did something that to this day I'm pretty proud of, but also I fucked up. I, because I was a complete psycho, <laughs> and I thought, look, this this is an opportunity to actually say to you guys, look, you know. Anyway, so I I proved beyond a reasonable doubt, and in a palm you probably had about five or six hundred points of identification. How many are there in a fingerprint? Well, three hundred and fifty. Oh, there are heaps okay, okay. in each, each finger. Yeah, but more in a palm print, right? Well, there are, the, yeah, incredible number. Yep. So I pulled out her record and... Are you allowed to do that? Yeah, you just go downstairs and pulled out her criminal record. Okay. And then I thought, I'm going to... I don't know what I was thinking. It must have been a rush of blood. I left... Um, we were on the 19th floor in the Remington building. Yep. And I went down to the drug squad, which were on whatever floor, 14th, 15th floor. Fort Knox, you can't get into these buildings. Remember that time I went to meet my relative who was head of the fraud squad? And, you know, I finally got in there and everyone's... All these detectives, these are hardcore... These are hardcore detectives. Yep. And can you imagine the drug squad? Like, we're talking scary. And I basically knocked on the door and this guy comes and I'm just saying, look, I've got, I've got to speak to your boss. I mean, I'm... Oh, Fuck. And they're going, what, who? And I'm going, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm from fingerprints upstairs. I've got to speak to someone. This is, I've got some incredible, oh, this is so fucked up. Oh, Jesus. And um, so I go in and I meet this detective superintendent from the drug squad. And he's, he must have been thinking, what is going on? They had no idea. Yeah. And I laid out the palm print taken at, on, that, that were photographed um, on these heroin, major heroin, like kilos of heroin pure heroin that had come in from overseas and um, I said I've, I've identified the palm print and I'd said it's Sally Ann Huckstep and it was like kind of saying that you know who killed JFK it was that level and this uh, the assumption that I got looking at this guy was yeah we know that and no one in the world's supposed to know that that's what happened, basically, because he said to me, congratulations, you've done a wonderful job. Leave it with me. Anyway, <laughs> I left the 15th floor. Yeah. I got in the, the elevator. Yeah. I went back up to the 19th floor, and that took about less than a minute. Uh-huh. I walked into the office where there were probably 50 fingerprint guys. And they all just, you could hear a pin drop. And um, 
I was told, I was escorted into the uh, the boss's office. They shut the door and they basically said to me, who do you, who, who do you think you are? Uh, this is never to be mentioned again uh, and don't you ever, ever, ever consider doing what you did then. It was fucked. And that's the end of that story. Now, it was what you did... Uh, bad because of the breach of protocol. No, You'd, or so no. Why, why was it bad? Because I'd identified Sally Ann Huckstep's palm prints on something on a major, major crime that never, ever, ever came to light. Why not? Because, well, I don't know. Okay, it's interesting. I mean, it's like the head doesn't know what the hand is doing. It's yeah. very, it's very strange. Yeah, it was heavy. Yeah, and I, and and, and I learned a valuable lesson that day. And what was that? Uh, to keep your mouth shut. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, that's stressful. Well, Lynette, we hope Dad answered your your question. God damn. Some of these questions are so great. Well, look, um, thank you so much for listening to another very bizarre episode of Loose Units, the podcast. Um, we do this every week. Season two is roaring along. Uh, Christmas is also uh, fast approaching, so make sure you grab your copy of Loose Units, the book. It's in bookstores. If your bookstore doesn't have it, harangue them until they do order it in. Otherwise, uh, you can head to Booktopia online. You can grab your copy right now. And uh, we will see you next week for more Loose Units Season 2, Electric Blue. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.